You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today, we live at a unique point in human history where data is becoming the new currency. Beyond oil, dollars, and social status, data is emerging as one of the most powerful and consequential currencies around the globe. Technology, computer processing, cloud storage, and artificial intelligence are empowering these data to transform zeros and ones into insightful and even profound realizations about almost every aspect of our lives. I'm John Nosta. And this is FutureDose.tech. Technology, pharmacy, and better healthcare delivery by creating more efficient, higher quality concierge-like pharmacist services, we can transform from the pharmacist of yesterday into the future provider of pharmacy tomorrow. FutureDose.tech is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, the global leader in pharmacy podcasting, and the largest, most influential network of podcasts about the profession and business of pharmacy. Hello, Pharmacy Podcast Network listeners. My name is Dave Berkowitz. I thought I'd start today's episode by giving you guys some background on about who I am and about my journey. So as I mentioned, my name is Dave Berkowitz. I work for a company called OmniCell and Data Analytics. I've been working in pharmacy for probably about 30 years. I started working in pharmacy at Walgreens when I was 14 years old. My dad's a pharmacist. My uncle's a pharmacist. So some will say that pharmacy is in my blood. I'm very passionate about pharmacy, about a profession, very passionate about elevating the role of the community pharmacist in terms of improving patient outcomes. And throughout my journey, it's become abundantly clear to me that pharmacy and healthcare in general doesn't leverage data the way that other industries do in terms of using data to drive business value and to improve outcomes. Other industries are just frankly very far ahead of us in terms of, when I say us, in terms ahead of healthcare in terms of leveraging data. So I'm very passionate about data. So in this podcast series, maybe it'll go on for weeks, months, who knows, but I'll be bringing on guests that I met throughout my journey who I find inspiring, hopefully inspiring. The goal for me is to hopefully provide an interesting listening um, experience, but ultimately I want pharmacists in the front lines to feel uh, less stressed, you know, less burned out. I want to provide uh, alternative pathways or, or instill knowledge about alternative pathways to pharmacists out there who you know, may not have heard of some of these things. So I'll be bringing on multiple guests, uh, some pharmacists, some physicians, some um, some folks in the tech space, some in finance, maybe even a, a meditation yogi, who knows. But at the end, like I said, the goal is to is to educate folks, to inspire them, to to perhaps try something new, to to take a risk, uh, to be bold. Um, because ultimately, I believe very passionately in pharmacists, and I know that there's so much our profession has to offer. So today on the podcast, I have Jing Wu. Jing Wu is a geospatial pharmacist. 
and frankly, the only, probably the only one in the world. So I really enjoyed talking to her and I hope that you do too. Super interesting journey. And I look forward to listening to this podcast and, and feel free to reach out to me or Jing if you have any questions about her journey or if we could provide any more information and background on, on GIS and how it could use, how you can use it in your practice. Uh, I have with me today, Jing from Esri and, um, I have pharmacists on this podcast who do interesting things, not just pharmacists, but pharma, but people in the health tech community and digital health community. And the goal is to inspire pharmacists in the front lines to, to solve problems and to try new things and to learn about what's available out there. So I, I got connected to you actually, Jing, through, I think I noticed that you posted something about Danny Schneider online. Do you recall that at all? from the, the Netflix show, The Pharmacist? Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. I did make a post about that because substance use and opioids is a topic area of interest of mine. And I thought it was really great that a streaming um, service like Netflix with such a large audience um, was highlighting the work that pharmacists were doing in a, in a unique way, you know, um, and that in that series, um, the pharmacists really went out of their way to make a difference in their community. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. So I saw you post something. That's what's cool about social networking and LinkedIn and that someone that I was connected to, you liked it. And I, then I, that, that directed me towards your profile and I, and I was reading it about it and I was very interested by your career path and uh, what you're working on right, right now. And coincidentally, I do some work in the COVID-19 space and I had, come across a video by your company Esri that I thought was really impressive and I'm going to give you some time to talk about your company but uh, basically what the company does is they they map out data and context uh, so you can make sense of your data a little bit better because it's it's geographically located. You, you know, you'll explain it much better than I just did, way better. Uh, but anyway, that was super interesting to me, and it gave me inspired me for models that I'm building with my team. So I uh, connected with you, and then we became also connected through Pharmacy Slack channel, um, which is a community of of folks looking to connect, uh, alternative to LinkedIn, if you will. Um, so we've connected there too. So. You're a geospatial pharmacist, is that right? Yes, I feel like that would be very accurate. It's my day in and day out during the week. Now, to, like that's kind of a unicorn for me. Like that, are you? You've got to be like the only pharmacist who does this type of thing. No. Essentially, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not entirely alone in the fact that I know other pharmacists who are looking at data and they're analyzing data but they're not necessarily thinking of it purposely from a geospatial perspective. Like they're pulling geographic data. Um, I believe the stat is, you know, 80 to 90% of all data has some kind of geospatial component in it. Um, people are looking for zip codes. They're looking for addresses. It's something that's being ingested um, all the time, but not necessarily thought of in a way of how can we use this part of the data that we're collecting to to think about the other data pieces as well right that's essentially the main reason i wanted to connect with you because i'm uh, i guess i consider myself a data monster i'm always <laughs> looking for new features or, or new information to to feed into models so i could um, ask questions of data i could 
test hypotheses, those type of things. And geospatial data specifically is always very useful because it, it actually can predict things like social determinants of health and you know health outcomes. So it's a very useful piece of information to have, especially when you start thinking about asthma rates or um, obesity, those type of things. So before we get more into the geospatial stuff, tell me about your journey. How did you end up in Esri and and like first, I guess, how do you start? How do you get into pharmacy? And then how did you? What brought you to becoming focused on? geospatial mapping of features? Holy smokes, that is a loaded question. Yeah. Well, we have time. And, and then, I'm super interested. I know a lot of people will be interested because it's, it's, it's totally unique. Yeah, I have a very different background than most. I certainly wear a lot of hats. When folks talk to me, they're like, holy smokes, like, how are you doing a variety of those things? But I think, you know, before I go into the journey, I suppose the big takeaway is I'm a very solutions-oriented person. You said that right at the forefront of your podcast is that um, you're really looking to share how pharmacists and just folks in healthcare are looking to innovate. And that's what, you know, it's driven by folks who are looking to solve problems. So um, that's, that's really essentially the crux of how I got into my journey is I knew there was a problem. A lot of us know that our health system in the United States has a lot of room for improvement. And so um, any person who's ever practiced on the front line gets a flavor of that. It's a place that now it's notorious, you know, patients are gonna enter into it and their outcomes are anybody's game. You know, you have no clue if they're gonna come out better or worse. And it's kind of the same way for providers as well. Um, there's a lot of burnout rates nowadays, a lot of mental health um, concerns. And so um, there's, it's certainly, we're, we're in a sector right now that, that um, certainly can use solutions. So anyways, how I got into pharmacy. Now this question is really <laughs> even intriguing to myself because uh, incidentally, between the year that I graduated from my undergrad, I'm from UW-Madison, um, sorry, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, and I went to UW-Madison for my undergrad, and then that's also where I went for pharmacy school as well. Go Badgers. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> my brother-in-law went there, I have to say that. <laughs> I don't I mean, a Badger, oh, well, get in, get in here. <laughs> Tune into a fellow Badger. Um, yeah, so it's certainly a badger through and through, but the summer between when I graduated from my undergrad and um, I already got into pharmacy school, I, I got into an accident of some sort. And when I say I got into an accident, I, I have no idea what the actual accident was because in my case, um, I, I hit my head and I, I've had a traumatic brain injury essentially. Like I had a severe traumatic brain injury right smack dab in that summer between undergrad and graduate school. And in my case, I had my memory wiped out. So one of my, my side effects was um, retrograde amnesia. And so amnesia is not necessarily uncommon in the brain injury population, but for myself personally, it was lifetime. Um, amnesia, and it kind of makes sense in tandem with my other, I guess, quote-unquote disabilities. I was a non-smeller. Um, the part of my brain that was affected was also my emotions, 
So all these things that help tie us to our memories, I just literally, that part of my, that brain, part of my brain didn't work anymore. So it kind of made sense that, you know, how, how my mind worked was a little bit different. So that in itself was a really crazy circumstance. Um, even in hindsight for myself, I'm like, holy smokes, that was crazy. That I That's went to intense, yeah. School. Yeah, thank yeah, you it's for sharing that. Yeah, so how so okay, go on. That's that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when that. you tell when you when you open, nope, nope, there's a lot of layers to who I am as the person. <laughs> well, this is what so, I'm hoping to get to also in terms of how I interview folks for these pot pot I wanna tease out what people's motivations are so folks in the community can tap into their own motivation so they can feel generate happiness in their own lives and fulfillment. And for that, David, you're doing a great thing here. Well, I mean, so you can, so essentially for me, when people ask me that question, it's like, well, I got into pharmacy school before my accident. And so, you know, what drove me to be a pharmacist probably was that I wanted to help people. I feel like that's what a lot of pharmacists, you know, that's why a lot of people will join healthcare, period. It, um, it's a more altruistic sector. And so um, I assume that was the reason why um, I became a pharmacist. But then actually for someone like myself, pharmacy school doubled as rehab. You know, like the normal person who would have a brain injury. And I, the only reason I know this is because I started interacting with folks with brain injury. Um, and at the time, and it still is kind of the case that there are certain po patient populations that don't have very clear um, treatment trajectories or regimens that are, are really stable. And so at least in my case, it was sort of like the perfect storm. Um, I already got into pharmacy school. Had I not gotten in before, I, or like, I probably wouldn't have made it into pharmacy school two months after um, my actual injury. And because I had my memory wiped and because I had a condition that people didn't know a lot about, it wasn't you know like a normal pathway. It's just sort of, I thought that this is the way that people live their lives. <laughs> I genuinely thought like, okay, this is what people do. They just go on to their normal. And this also speaks to how fragmented our healthcare system was. Now in hindsight, I know that the reason I fell through the cracks as a patient is because there is a merger going on in the health system. And so there's a lot of administrative turnover, there's a lot of physician turnover. And in those circumstances, it's the patients who end up losing because you just they just get lost in the mix between all the transitions. Um, and even to this day, we know how health record systems are not integrated with each other. And so, you know, I entered into a hospital with one electronic health record system, but then my insurance covered a different one. So I was transferred out to oh. a clinic. And so that's where, you know, in transitions of care, I really got lost and I can go into all these trials and tribulations about how confusing it is for patients and their families um, when someone enters into that pathway. But anyways, long story short, um, my journey <laughs> through pharmacy school was vastly different, I think, than most people. And even myself in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that was kind of crazy, you know, to go to school <laughs> with a brain injury um, and graduate at, still at a normal time. So I have a lot of gratitude. I have a lot of connection with but the obviously, like, totally inspiring, right? Like, that's that's a completely whole different ball of wax in terms of what you have to overcome. I'd imagine. I mean, I don't know. It was hard. What, what side effects <laughs> were, but but you, there's a lot of studying and memorization in pharmacy school. So 
I can imagine that being taxing on, on a mind, especially an injured mind. Very, very much so. And that's a whole other thing. You could probably do a whole other situation. People have asked me if I'm a case study. And it's so fascinating, even those kind of questions, because being in the shoes of someone who is the actual case themselves, um, it's, it's an interesting decision if you were to go down that route. You know, like instead of going to school, instead of living a more, I guess, normal life, I didn't really want to take time out of my day, which was already very full of things. Everyone remembers who's a pharmacist or, you know, a healthcare provider, what it's like to go to a rigorous, you know, health program um, to want to step out of my day to go get MRIs and CT scans. Um, that's just a whole other thing. And I've had CT scans before where they've missed my vein and it's sort of like you have a bad experience and you're not trying <laughs> to go back and get MRIs for fun. I don't think anyone's trying to get MRIs for fun. So, you know, I was like, no, I decided not to go that route because I came to learn that it's easier to learn when you're not being watched. <laughs> it's easier to grow and um, just learn in a very organic way when other people aren't weighing in. Um, on your life. So that's a really fascinating aspect mm. about healing is just like just heal in a natural way that feels best to yourself. So um, I'm very holistic in the way that I approach health. Um, even though I'm a pharmacist, I think medications make a world of difference um, for some of our patients. It really, you know, it helps them have a standard of living. Um, but in other cases, it's a little bit excessive. Me too. I always used to say I was the the pharmacist that my goal was to get you off drugs if possible and to get you on. Yeah. I mean, there's just, if you, if you were to do like uh, an analysis of uh, diet and exercise versus drugs, right? Like if you could bottle up diet and exercise into a pill, it would be like the biggest blockbuster of all time. And, and it's uh, almost, and we're just such like a medicated culture that there's this, Polypharmacy, huge problem. Phar like prescribing cascade, huge problem. Um, but the truth is, being alive and healthy is hard, and it takes a lot of work, a lot of hard work, and it takes mo motivation and consistent behavior change techniques in order to have a sustained, I guess I call it health span, to be maintain your health healthy life for over over the stretch duration of your life. It's not easy. Um, so backing up, so. Uh, wow. So you were, uh, you were injured, you overcame this and you're finishing, um, so you finished pharmacy school and where did you navigate to next? Well, now that you know a little bit more about my history, now you understand that I know both the patient perspective of what it's like to navigate the health system when you have a complex health condition and what it's like to be a provider. So I almost felt like, wow, I couldn't be luckier as a patient <laughs> to know what the health provider, like how things should be essentially, right? Like when you're trained as a healthcare provider, you know how things should be. So I was a very, very educated patient. And so I think that really contributed to my outcomes as well. But because I understand the patient perspective so deeply, that's a huge, that was a huge motivation for me. Um, like you said, it's hard to be healthy and it's hard to be healthy while you're in pharmacy school, <laughs> just like the lifestyle mm -hmm. of like studying all day and whatnot. But just by knowing that perspective, um, I actually ended up getting my dual degree MPH 
as well. And so what that kind of looked like was instead of taking courses like fluids or pediatric or vet medicine, I was taking things like epidemiology mm -hmm. and policy um, and things that are a bit more public health related. But it's because, and I think it's very much common sense, that I knew that health was more than what happened in clinic walls. Like Absolutely. I knew because I was out there in the world as a patient, I was most of the time, I was healing outside. And so that's where I'm like, hmm, what is, like, what do I need to know to be an effective healthcare provider? I need to understand how me as a pharmacist fits into the bigger picture, which is public health. Public health is at population level thinking. So I kind of always had that public health flavor, but I just knew like after being in pharmacy school and all those different settings um, for folks who are maybe not pharmacists tuning into this podcast, um, student pharmacists are required to rotate through various settings. Um, it's mandatory for them typically to be in a community setting for one of their rotations. And then also a um, institution or health system kind of setting so they can get a, a couple different flavors of what's considered traditional pharmacy. But then um, depending on the school, there'll be you know other um, opportunities that they'll want the student to pursue, whether it's ambulatory or administrative, et cetera. So um, in my case, I always wanted to do more of like a public health lens um, just because I had that interest. And so um, my journey after pharmacy school was going to DC actually. I was the resident or the executive resident. It's now a fellowship now. Um, but a couple years ago now, like three, three years ago, it was still a residency. And honestly, what spurred me to even apply for this residency is because I wanted to know what the leaders in our profession were doing to address all these issues on the front line. Makes sense. Um, when you're in a Walgreens, when you're in a hospital, when you're in an independent pharmacy, you hear the pharmacists are saying like, we would like to spend more time with the patients and using the skills that we learn in school to provide and optimize that medication use or de-escalation if that's the, the case. Um, but X, Y, Z is why we can't. And so I'm like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what are the leaders doing in our profession um, to address these issues? And like, what is the direction? In my mind, I was like, I don't want to play the game. <laughs> if the game sucks, I'd rather change the game than play the game. Um, and sometimes even my friends who are practicing pharmacy in a more traditional sense, um, very, very grateful for them too. I tell them, not everyone can be, I guess, you know, a, a hunter, like hunting for solutions because the healthcare system still needs to function. You need folks who can sit down with someone who has a chronic condition like diabetes or some kind of cardiovascular disease and be able to help that person achieve health. Those roles are equally as important as the folks who are going out there and exploring different horizons, but we need both. We can't have just like too much of one or the other. So um, definitely super valuable. Um, and in that residency, I mean, that was extremely eye-opening. The purpose of these kind of residencies is um, to train the resident in leadership and association management. And so what you end up doing is you rotate through pretty much every single department 
within an association and you function um, in that role, whether it's, you know, publishing um, a pharmacy handbook or going out to another association meeting um, and representing on behalf of, you know, the association that you're with. So it was extremely eye-opening um, in terms of advocacy and governance and pharmacy practice um, from that higher level point of view. So I found that to be really valuable. But then at the end of that residency, I'm like, holy smokes, I have this whole jumble of skills right now. Like what path can I follow that will help me figure out how to make the health system better. Like there are several different avenues that I could have done this, right? Like I could have went into, you know, um, a, like a governance role or like a policy role of an association. Um, a lot of folks were like, you should do academia, you know, being a very avid learner that kind of sometimes translates into knowing a lot of information, consulting, was another thing that was really recommended to me. And so um, when someone makes a recommendation, I think, you know what, maybe I'll explore it. <laughs> if you can see it, then why not just at least like check it out. So it was one of my good friends. She was, um, she was applying for a job at Booth Allen. And she told me like, hey, maybe you should check this out. And I thought, okay, well, let me learn a little bit more. Um, about this consulting avenue, like what you would do, what that lifestyle would be like. I heard that in consulting, you can be a little bit more creative um, and that, you know, you kind of get a variety of projects. And so um, I just ended up talking to one of my contacts who'd worked at Booth Allen for quite some time. But at the time, he actually ended up working at Esri. Hmm. So I recognized Esri in his, um, in his email address. And so then to dial a couple years back, when I was referring to those rotations, one of the rotations that I did as a student pharmacist was with the World Health Organization in New South Wales, Australia. Um, and because they knew I had an interest in trauma, um, and now you guys know why, because I come from the population, so I'm also trying to help the population too. Um, I was linked up with a level one trauma center um, in that region, and it was actually an orthopedic surgeon who asked me to map their trauma mortality patients to see if there are upstream interventions that they could um, put in place to better control the flow of um, the trauma patients and improve their outcomes on the way out. And so, you know, at the time I had, I was wearing a student pharmacist hat and I'm thinking, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> but I also thought, I'm willing to learn. Why not? I mean, look, if, if there's an opportunity and, you know, an orthopedic surgeon feels like it's helpful, I'll give it a go. Literally, That's Googled. the thing, right? You just like, <laughs> these days you could just Google stuff, like spend a little time on it. Uh, depending how complex the problem is, it might take a while, but you, you know, we have these amazing learning tools at our fingertips. One second to Google something and it's amazing what you can, what you can learn. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, Google led me, it was Google that led me to Esri. I mean, it also led me to some other things too, which I did explore, um, but then I figured out that, at least in my case, I was being asked to literally build out a study and present in front of surgeons every single week. I wanted something that was tangible and 
easy to learn. And it just so happened that Esri was that way. So that was a complete, and I should say the technology is called ArcGIS. Yeah. Um, and the company is called Esri. So that's just um, a clarification there. Um, so I completely found the technology ArcGIS by chance, but I put it on a shelf because I was on rotation and I went straight into hospital right afterwards. So I put on my normal, I guess, traditional hat and I just was like, wow, that was a really cool opportunity and skill, but I did not tie it together. You know, even at that time, I did not tie together like, oh, this is a career path. Like, I'm just thinking, great, if you do research, this is a thing you do. If you're in research, it's an analytic tool for your researcher. But I didn't connect like, oh, maybe, you know, this is something I would want to integrate into my career path down the line. So now we're back <laughs> to be having a conversation. So you're back in America and you've left your amazing like Australian rotation, <laughs> which I, that's also like super interesting. I have not heard of people doing rotations, pharmacy rotations in Australia before. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, anyway, yeah. so I just had to, yeah. that did not, that didn't get past me. So that <laughs> I needed to comment on that. that that's pretty cool. Yes. Um, I guess that there's a theme as we continue along with this little interview is be curious. And if you hear something or if you think something could make sense, then check it out. Simply just check it out. Like there's things that I've checked out. And I'm like, mm -mm. <laughs> this is, you know, not something I want to pursue. People sat me down, asked me if I wanted to go into like business ventures and I just like knowing your own skill set, understanding yourself and um, just knowing what you're capable of. I just, yeah, just like weigh that. Get a good understanding of yourself and be curious. Couldn't Two takeaways, if anything. <laughs> so, so yeah, you got curious around about, so you didn't put two and two together between how you could integrate Esri into your practice or to your goals in terms of making a difference. So how did you, what, what, what clicked that, that made you like go towards Esri. Yeah, exactly. And even as you make that comment, that's why I don't forsake anyone in healthcare for not making the connection right away. Yeah. Because even someone myself who used it extensively, I didn't even make that connection right away because sometimes we're trained to think very unilaterally. And um, that was something, you know, like later when I was talking to, um, my, my friend about consulting and he worked for Esri, he kind of just started talking about like, oh, is that Esri? Like mapping, like that company, it kind of like took me back um, to a time when I was a student pharmacist. And then, you know, he just ended up telling me his journey into the company. Um, and in, in some ways he kind of sold it to me. <laughs> I think more than anything, it was the ethos. Um, of the company. I really wanted to work for an organization that I felt like was making a difference. And um, this is kind of an interesting analogy I sort of like to make, but Esri sort of feels like a mom and pop nonprofit wearing a corporate sweater. So it is a private organization, but the way in which we do things, it's just really focused on the users, like helping them solve problems, taking the time, listening to them, like their needs come first. And I really like that because I felt like I could translate my pharmacy skills where it's like very patient centric, like patients first. And I treat, I guess, my accounts <laughs> like my patients, mm -hmm. like I'm very invested 
um, and their success and wanting to make sure that they're actually getting value out of the technology that they're using and they're optimizing it um, so that they can make better decisions using uh, location. So yeah, it was my friend who's like, hey, if you wanna to talk to the chief medical officer, like I'll set up a conversation. I'm like, sure thing. And the rest is history. I was like, holy smokes. Like, um, so Esri Garrity, or sorry, SD Garrity is the chief medical officer um, at Esri and she's, you know, the top of my team, the health team um, at Esri. And she just has a storied history um, teaching at the University of San Diego. She worked at a public health department in California. Um, she's a physician. So anyhow, it was just kind of cool even for someone like myself to work very interprofessionally. Um, having my boss be, you know, like a physician. There's a nurse on my team. Um, there's folks from nonprofit backgrounds on my team from, you know, ASTO. So I'm like, wow, this is truly public health. Like I'm truly operating like a public health professional and I get to represent pharmacists cool. <laughs> in this mix. So it's a double two-way street. Um, GIS is kind of newish to health, but health is also kind of new to GIS. So it's truly on the cusp. It's like I'm truly in a cutting edge <laughs> territory right now. That's so neat. Um... I'm in data analytics, right? So I, I understand the value and I'm using GIS type data all the time. And that was definitely what uh, what prompted me to connect with you and, and why I wanted other pharmacists to hear about what GIS is and what, what how it can help. So I don't think we've really got into so far, like what is GIS or like what type of, can you go into detail about like what type of projects you work on or like why would GIS be useful for even let's say a community pharmacist? Definitely, I can certainly do that. So first off, I should probably say what GIS is. <laughs> Took us like a half hour to get to that. <laughs> I know, but it's good. I feel it's a little good. bad. Uh, when, you, I, when you ask me, <laughs> um, you know, about my journey, I'm like, holy smokes, you really are opening a can of worms, <laughs> but you can always, you know, judge it um, as necessary. So what GIS stands for is Geographic Information Systems. And if I were to explain it in super layman terms, it's when you use geography, you take geographic data, and it's the tool that helps you analyze it, like puts it all in one place. So you can use GIS to map and visualize, so that's something people are very familiar with, but you can also use it for data management, you can use it for field mobility, so that's like collecting data. You can use it for monitoring, um, you can use it for analytics. And so at least uh, at Esri, we really focus on, okay, well, when you bring all these components together, so what? What does that help you do? And at a very high level, essentially, it allows you to, to detect patterns. Like it helps you see things that you would not normally be able to see in the data if it were in some other format. And so um, if folks think about a map which is like the classical way in which geography is thought of, um, all of us in our day-to-day, -day, we're always somewhere. We literally cannot not be someplace. And as we go about our days, even the socially distant world, we still go places. Mm -hmm. We move from a room to a bathroom, blah, blah, blah. But um, even so, like in, our, um, in this current climate, what's moving is COVID-19. 
So something is always moving. Space and time is part of everything that we do. And so GIS is the tool that you use to understand space and time in relationship to the other pieces of data. So like who, what, um, you could just throw that together and use space and time to thread it together in one space. And that's what you see in a map. That got me so Einstein for a second there. Uh, <laughs> back to the future or something, I don't know. Really cool. So if I'm an act, like, a, like a, I'm a community pharmacist, right? Let's say I'm a community pharmacist and I'm worried about star rating and like, how could I, what type of like analytics would I want to do to say like, what could I do? And you might not have the answer and I'm just sort of spitballing here. Like, what would I, um, if I wanted to improve my medication adherence or if I wanted to like help understand, you know, why a patient isn't adhered to their inhaler or like what, what other thing, what other like information could I glean about a patient from, from where they live or how they're moving around about the community? Oh, so much, David, so much you could do. So the beauty of GIS, I think one of the most cool pieces of it is that you can layer data. So you can take different layer, layer attributes. So like, let's, for example, your first example with medication adherence, and let's choose a condition like diabetes. Um, you could take a layer, like the rates of diabetes in a specific region. So do you want to look at... Um, at a state level? Do you want to look at a county level? Do you want to look at how granular do you want to get? So that's one piece of GIS is at what level of geography do you want to look at your data? And then on top of that, you put, okay, so what are the rates of diabetes here? You could also layer on top, what are the risk factors for diabetes? And so that would be, you know, access to healthy foods, but also on the flip side, is there a high prevalence of fast food chains? Um, or things that, you know, increase the risk of someone having diabetes. So you can add all the risk factors on and the things that are protective factors and take them on and off. So you can see it also by um, demographics as well. You can look at patterns in age. You can look at patterns in um, race. You can look at whatever patterns you want to. And I think that's just the neatest thing is that you have the choice of back and forth very quickly, what do I want to look at in terms of comparison? So for medication adherence, another piece to it is um, routing. Like you can see where your patient lives in relationship to these factors. So are they closer to, um, do they have parks around them? If you make a recommendation to exercise for 30 minutes, you know, five times a week, is that a legitimate recommendation? Can they do that? Is their neighborhood safe? safe. What is the yep. crime? Exactly. So you can use GIS to look at these different components and make much more catered recommendations. Um, and then also, if they live far away from your, um, from your pharmacy or whatever the clinic is, or you know information, like they take public transportation. So you know if someone has a car, it might be a 10 minute drive, but if they have to take the bus, it could be a 45 minute situation. And so there's all these pieces that you can use GIS to think about how can we get people from one place to the next and what's happening along that path um, that might impact how they interact with, with their own care. 
Totally. MJS helps you do that. <laughs> totally. I have a confession. I did actually know the answer to that, but I didn't say it as well as you did. And I'm doing my job here as an interviewer by getting that amazing answer out of you. But yeah, it, it's a, you, you can layer and enrich your data sets with it and you can learn more about patients. And at the end of the day, it's about, in some ways, this will sound kind of stupid, but it's, we're not stupid, maybe it's not a word, but you will not sound stupid if you make <laughs> recommendations based off of knowing more about people. You can't make a recommendation to somebody, like go running in your neighborhood if it's not safe. You can't like make a recommendation to somebody about about coming to the pharmacy or for, for whatever reason, if they have no transportation and there's no bus near their house. Like These are all factors that play into medication adherence, health outcomes, and, and the more we know about patients, the more we might actually be able to, as you said, so nicely, targeted interventions and, and meeting people where they're at and understanding them better. And this is one of the tools and there's, you know, there's a lot of different factors. It's not, obviously not just GIS where you live, life is very complex, but it is something that's available that can help. Um, Moving on to like just a slightly different topic, because um, we are kind of running out of time here. I want to hear from you where you think, because you have this like really interesting journey that you've gone into and you've been a patient and, and you're clearly passionate about pharmacy. I mean, you, you did a fellowship or residency at the time just because of wanting to know more about leadership. So from your perspective, where does the pharmacy profession need to be like what is what's our next evolution if you will honestly i think now that i'm in this cross-section between um technology and health i think that really is the place where folks need to be whether it's from a data perspective definitely we are very capable at this time of being nimble with data so i definitely think pharmacists um, and all healthcare professionals should have a pulse on that um, but also because I'm in the geospatial um, area, I do, and I think everyone knows this, there's lots of evidence behind this, that your zip code may have a higher influence on your health comes than your genetics. So I feel like this is like a low hang fruit. Let's just knock it out. Let's just it's get so the geospatial situation all sorted out. Even in precision medicine, people are so excited about precision medicine and like really what that's all about is genetics, behaviors, and environment that triple combo and boom environment that's literally location it's like let's get that piece sorted out let's have everyone just having context i couldn't um, agree more and, around their patients no i couldn't <laughs> you know? agree more this might go in in a political direction but like and these are things that i think about all the time but like at its core the problem is education right it's 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 equitable education because in those same zip codes where people have poorer health outcomes, the education system is, is junky. They're living in um, areas of high crime. Like it's tough. They're like really actual health outcomes are very deep sort of societal problems. They uncovered are a symptom of really deep societal problems and inequity that are really hard to solve. Have you thought about these type of things or like, how do you, cause sometimes even I get frustrated oh about like, about like, you know, we, you know, we know that that's an issue. Like, like your zip code can project, can predict your health trajectory, but to actually solve it, 
you ha there has to be major fundamental changes in our society, right? Like, so, so you had a reaction, so I'm assuming you thought about these things. Like, what are your thoughts on those, <laughs> those comments? Oh my gosh, David, that, I think about it every day because geography, once again, plays into everything. When you talk about how do you tangibly make a difference in equity is when you have a problem, you need to understand it from all angle, angles. So when we're younger, we often learn when you're trying to solve a problem, you need to know who, what, when, where, why, and how. And notice how where <laughs> is part of it. But the truth is, if you're missing any of those problems, it doesn't matter which one, you don't actually fully understand the issue. You really can't solve a problem without knowing all the pieces. So true. And so in the case of um, equity, the thing is, it's going to be different by location. And what GIS allows you to do is it takes all the other pieces, what, when, all the other ones, and puts in something that you can see tangibly, the differences back and forth. And so that's actually how you tackle it. It's not just sort of like, oh, you'll read about it in you know, maybe a study. It'll be in a 16-page document. They'll say, in this neighborhood, it has these factors. And then it'll go on and it'll describe a neighborhood but imagine having the tools which we don't have to imagine you know they exist, that you could just like look and like take on and off and really just target like this is where we can make a change there's a limited amount of resources in, in healthcare and in just in general so if you're going to want to make a change in equity you have to be smart about the resources that you use and um, for folks that are tuning in I encourage you to look up um, Esri policy maps um, there's a bunch of data layers that are out there, um, geospatial data that breaks it down, whether it's, you know, folks that are elderly with or older populations with um, who are living alone, or if you want to look at crime rates, or if you want to look at just like different social determinant of health factors, which by the way, location is in the definition <laughs> of social determinants of health. Um, you can just, you know, see how if policymakers and folks who are part of nonprofits or just whatever health organization they're part of understood their community better, then they could be a lot more nimble in how they make change rather than everyone, and it's everyone's sense of subjective. But you know, there's a lot of du uh, duplicate, duplicate efforts um, out there. And so when everyone understands what everyone else is doing a little bit better, then you can actually push something forward and use your resources better. Love it. So you're, you're in a way advocating for sort of micro targeted use or like politics is local and making sure that local authorities are aware of where they stand locally as well as how it relates to either the greater state or, or the country. Did I get that right? Definitely be able to, as they say, look at the forest and the trees, mm -hmm. like truly have that view. And I think in pharmacy, sometimes I think about I'm not going to call out any corporation or policy in particular, but like, you know, as a blanket statement, sometimes, for example, pain management um, is, is a passion of mine. Um, and, you know, there's rules for certain organizations where they say, uh, you know, a patient can only get seven days, 14 days however many days of a prescription, and it's like a blanket, a blanket order. Mm -hmm. However, if you have a patient in a rural area, if you have a patient who maybe has a mountain between them 
and the closest pharmacy, try to imagine them going every seven days to get a refill for their medication. It's just not reasonable. The route to get to it, or like as we talked about, the bus versus the car versus the walking. You know, for some person to pick up their med, it's just a five-minute walk across the street. For other people to get that same medication, it's, gosh, hours, hours to get the same thing. I know. Yeah, that is one of the problems with these policy decisions, right? Like, they, they're utilitarian. They look at, like, wh- how can we impart the most amount of benefit? But at the patient individual level, there can be there can be harms and frustrations. I give you an example for my wife. My wife has, uh, an, she has an autoimmune disease, and mm-hmm. she has to take, she has to take protonics because uh, mm-hmm. she has, you know, she has like actual real, uh, real uh, Barrett's esophagitis. Barrett's esophagitis. But every single month, she has to get a prior authorization to get more than thirty days, and she's not like the average patient who. She's not the average patient who like has been put on it and just it gets perpetuated on their med list because they think they have a little heartburn. She has like actual like pathological evidence that that requires constant protonics. So every month we have to go through this, and I'm a pharmacist, right? So every month we have to go through this frustration of of trying to get this prior authorization. Uh, but this is sort of the same type of scenario at the patient individual level some of these policies but to your earlier point and this is a really nice way to sort of round out our discussion this can all be fixed with data this insurance company knows what her diagnosis is the the same company that pays the bills for the prescriptions the same company that gets the diagnosis codes from the physician (laughs) like this isn't hard it's just will and incentives to be able to make better tools to improve the care that we're giving to patients um so with that, I just want to close with um, one more, one more final question. And you're an awesome guest, and I'm so glad that you that you came and spent this time with me. What uh, what advice could you give to pharmacists out there in terms of like, you know, we both know we we've touched on this a little bit. Like pharmacists are frustrated at the front lines. There's a ton of burnout. You did mention curiosity, but like, what could you how, what knowledge could you impart on pharmacists to give them hope and to, 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 to lead to a more fulfilling career? Holy smokes. <laughs> what a loaded question. Didn't expect all these sort of like deep questions when you agreed no, to this, did you? <laughs> I'm so glad, David. I think that's what makes a good podcast. I think that's what makes for a compelling conversation is to dig in deep. And uh, if I would have to say, like, is if there's one thing that every pharmacist, any person could try today is to do something they're afraid of, like be riskier. Um, and what I mean by that is I entered into a world, the GIS, I'm the only pharmacist um, at Esri. I am the pharmacist at Esri, and they are the global leader in, in geospatial analytics and data. So then by default, that makes, you know, me, the pharmacist who works for the best in in the world right now. And um, it really was a risk, right? Like, this is a path I didn't really know where this would lead. But I was like, I see opportunity here. Things kind of make sense. I, you know, this location piece of things, access to care. You know, when we talk about public health, when we talk about things, I hear us saying the same things but I don't hear us talking about what will help us improve it. 
in a way that's different, that's working, right? And some things are kind of working and they maybe just will take more time, but it's like, get out there, be risky, be willing to step away from what you normally would do. And when I was a student pharmacist, remember, it didn't click because I had a lot of guidance telling me, you know, clinical cardiology pharmacy, you're gonna be in a neuro, I see, like, just like, you know, all these classic paths. It's like, be bold, don't be afraid. <laughs> okay, it's fine to be afraid. Let's be realistic, taking risks is scary. But know that you're not alone. Like, you know, here's David, he's in data. Got a good name for it, David and data. So. There's me out here in GIS and David and I know other folks in pharmacy who are out there exploring. So don't be afraid to take that risk. Just do something small, whether that's even taking a dance class or something. It doesn't have to be a bold move. You don't have to change your career today. <laughs> But and just practice. And it sounds like, in a way, this is something I would advocate for. And stop me if I'm wrong by making this assumption. But it sounds like you're measuring. You have a different mindset. Your mindset is, you're measuring your. I mean, you want to provide value to your customers, but you're measuring. Your goals aren't aren't a set endpoint of a publication. It's it's a journey of learning and a journey of trying things new, to uh, to to get to some. Um, to feel fulfilled in terms of um, making impact for patients, basically. Yeah, I feel like it's something, um, I guess another piece of it, so now you're kind of like doubling <laughs> on the advice, but I will have to say <laughs> that for me, in a, in a way, it's I crafted my career in the sense that I actually go to work and I do what I wanna be doing. Um, like I, I would have to say I'm very passion driven but then that makes, you know, what I do every single day, I feel much more fulfilled. I truly feel like, you know, it's not like every day I'm like, whoa, sunshine and rainbows by no means. <laughs> but I feel like I definitely get to make a, a change and I'm on a path of um, solving a problem. And I think that innately, if you feel like you're making a difference, um, it just make, brings you more fulfillment. So, um, yeah, I, definitely. If you're trying to get a publication, <laughs> I mean, that's great, but you know, like what's the point of getting the publication, right? And like when you, uh, um, I guess, tie yourself to a mission that's greater than yourself or just something that's, you know, someone says is something that you should aim for, um, I guess your drive, you might not have as much drive. It's not as intrinsic. So yeah, just figure out what, what motivates you. Whatever motivates you, go for it. Yeah, so. that's what I was trying to get at. Like <laughs> it's a journey, right? It's not it's the journey that matters, right? It's not necessarily the end. Uh, speaking of which, we have reached the end <laughs> of our podcast. Mm -hmm. um, thank you again. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you're a star. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, definitely be in touch and reach out if you ever feel like coming on. If there's something on your mind you want to talk about, shoot me a message. And again, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, David. Thank you so much for asking me these thought-provoking questions. <laughs> I think it's good for us all to check in, and it's easier to check in when someone else <laughs> is asking you the cues. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to FutureDose.Tech. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this podcast on your favorite social media outlets. Be sure to stay connected to the Pharmacy Podcast Network and return for your next FutureDose.Tech episode coming soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.